Acts 8, 26 through 40. This is uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts 8, starting with verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told uh, Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news of Jesus Christ. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he, uh, he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, um, appeared a, a Zertzus, sorry, uh, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached um, Caesarea. So this uh, passage, I want to just kind of unpack it this morning. Before we actually dig into it, I just want to share a little bit about my life. Um, I grew up in the church. I shared a little bit of it last week or last time we gathered. Um, but I grew up in a church that was a small country church, a lot of farmland around it. Uh, we were white middle class. Um, my grandpa actually helped build the church. Um, so I was born and raised in that church. Um, you know, I was there on Sunday mornings, uh, whenever the doors were open, and um, I, I'll be honest, I didn't really enjoy going to church, but my mom was very faithful and made me go, which I'm glad she did. Uh, I needed to be in church. Um, but I remember just going to that little church, and uh, my mom actually played piano, and uh, there's a song that she would always practice every morning. And it says, just as I am, just as I am without one plea. And she would play that and she would practice that every morning. And uh, every, uh, almost every Sunday they actually played that song um, as uh, the closing of their worship. Um, but I just remember uh, the, this going to that little church 
I remember when well, I was 12 years old, uh, I was during an altar call, and I just felt um, the Spirit tell me to come forward to the altar. And it was in that moment that I went, and um, the pastor prayed with me. And that's when the, I really felt the Spirit was dealing with me. Um, the, you know, a lot of uh, the Westland movement, the holiness movement, we call that prevenient grace. Um, the grace that goes before, and that was what the Lord was dealing with me, the, the grace that was being extended to me. I didn't fully comprehend it, um, but I, I started um, seeking the Lord that day, um, but I wasn't truly following Him. Um, it was just one of those, uh, the conviction was starting started in my life. Um, and during that time, I started stumbling into things that I shouldn't have been into. Um, so that I was experiencing, you know, coming to church and I felt convicted. But then I'd go on Mondays through Saturday and I would live in, in sin, doing things I shouldn't have been doing. And I um, remember uh, being baptized at that little church. So, um, and that, that, that church, baptism was pretty much put like this. You want to join the church, which my whole family was a part of that church, right? So the, the part of me was to, to join with my family, right? And so I was baptized. But to me at that time, it was, I'm just joining the church, Right. This is what I do to get membership here. So it truly didn't mean much to me. So from 12 to about 17, I was trying to find my identity in all kinds of things. Um, and I remember uh, I was big influence. Uh, this will surprise many of you. Big influences in my life. Tupac Shakur, Biggie and Snoop Dogg, right? They were big influences in my life. I remember when I was 17, or not 17, when I was in seventh grade, I remember I got their CDs, and I started listening to them, and Tupac, and uh, just what they were they're bringing, the lyrics and stuff, and I started trying to dress the part. I did. I did. I had these... My mom, she's back there. She probably remembers these. <laughs> I had these Tommy Hilfiger um, shorts that came all the way down to here. I busted a sag a little bit. <laughs> had a long Tommy Hilfiger that matched it, and it was down low. Had uh, Back then, uh, Reeboks, they came out with this shoe that uh, the front of the shoe was, um, they had different colors, and they would change up the, the color of the shoe. And uh, so... My friends had those, and we would, like, mix-match our shoes. I would have the red ones, but my friend had the blue ones, and so we would trade, and, like, I'd wear, like, half of mine and half of his. So we were really cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember whenever I was 17, right, and I, that was in seventh grade, so I kind of changed and kind of found my own style, my own unique identity of who I was, but... During that time, I was still influenced by hip-hop and rap, and, and to be honest, I like it still. Um, but I remember I went to a Christian bookstore. This is when I was kind of starting to like um, start following Jesus. Uh, I started befriending one of my good friends on my uh, baseball team. Uh, it was Jonathan Pascal. 
uh, he started coming coming to some of our parties and uh, hanging out with me on the weekends and we started talking about Jesus in the midst of parties and in the midst of things that was going on on the weekends and he he started to share this love with me you know he wasn't captured by what was going on in the world but he was set apart i didn't understand it and i remember one one day over some biscuits and gravy in huddle house in ashborough north carolina uh i looked across the table at him and i said Man, there's something different. You know, I, I grew up in church. I know the golden rule. Mom took me to church every Sunday, even when I didn't want to. But there's something different about you, man. And I've come to figure it out. It's the love of Jesus. And it was at that moment that I started following Jesus with my life. But I remember when I was 17 and I did that, went to the Christian bookstore, picked up... T-Bone, the Christian rapper. Anybody remember T-Bone? Man, I love T-Bone. Dude sounded so much like Snoop Dogg. But I started uh, listening to him. I remember I was listening to Ride With Me. Okay, Had that blaring in my old Cavalier. All right? And I had the bass pumping. You know, I'm pulling into the church. Just boom, 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 boom. And I hop out. And the pastor at the time come up to me and says son we don't listen to that music here that's the devil's music I was like come on man I love this guy I mean he was talking about the gospel and his lyrics and stuff and it that set that that hurt me you know I was starting to make a shift in my life and this person was speaking negative into my life where he could have just stopped waited had a conversation, even if it was Snoop Dogg, right? Even if it was Tupac, ask me, hey, what do you like about that music? You know, and and had a conversation about it. But I mean, this was T-Bone. And I was like, actually, sir, this is a Christian rapper. And it's like, there's no such thing. I'm like, man, all right. So anyway, long story short, I ended up, uh, I was dating a girl and um, started to attend a, a church that she was a part of and uh, started going to Denton Westland Church and uh, really started to grow in Christ. Um, after college, I ended up getting baptized, um, and I actually meant it. I actually knew what it was about, what it was a part of. And so we're going to talk about baptism today. And that's just a little bit of my story. And uh, I share that story because I really feel like in this passage is dealing with some of the same things that maybe some of us have dealt with in our life. You've heard this saying, and Brother Tim is going to put this on the screen. Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the door and see all the people, right? You remember doing the hand gestures, right? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door and here's all the people, right? That's kind of what I experienced growing up. In that little country church, there's some great people. And there still is great people there. And they're doing some great things. 
But for the most part, whenever I grew up in that church, I remember this one thing. A lot of the things that I saw in people's lives didn't match up with what was happening on Sunday morning. They were different whenever they left the church. And, and that's what really messed me up. I didn't see Christians how they should be. Right? When I experienced the church that I started going to afterwards, I saw people that were like actually growing in Christ. They weren't concerned about if we were reading from the KJV. You know, they weren't concerned about if we were singing only hymns. You know? But they were like growing in Christ. And it actually matched where they were spiritually on Monday through Saturday just as much as it did on Sunday. And so I remember this. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. And there's the people. The church was never meant to contain us in a box. We were never meant to be closed into that church, right? We're here. This this is church. We're experiencing church right now. But if this is it, man, check me out. Because if this is only it on Sunday and that's it and we, it doesn't lead to anything else on Monday through Saturday... Man, I don't want to be a part of it. Right? If Mission House was only just to be a church service, that's not what I signed on for. We want to be change in our community. We want to partner with other people, like we're partnering with Pastor Bates, you know, doing night crawlers and other things like that. To be a kingdom people, not just church people. Right, and so here you are. You see Philip. See, Philip um, is here entering the scene with the Ethiopian eunuch. And I'm not going to pour into the detail of what that means, but parents, you can kind of get the idea of what a eunuch is. A eunuch is um, a man that's not necessarily a man, right? So... um, here he is, and scholars say that they believe that he was either born Jewish or he came to faith later on and became Jewish, started following their Jewish practices. And I tend to go for the latter. I think that he wasn't born Jewish, but he kind of came to be Jewish. And so he's this high leader um, in the, among the Ethiopians, um, you know, working with Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. But yet he doesn't fit in with the Jews. He isn't able to do the things that they were to do. See, to convert to Judaism, you have to study extensively. You know, in a lot of ways they uh, would study for years they would know the whole Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Can can any of y'all count or uh, quote the first five books of the Bible? No, I'm not just saying the titles. I'm saying quote word for word all of the passages. That's pretty tough, right? But that was what they had to go through, right, to become Jewish. And so he did all this. 
But then it came to a point where he experienced a problem. What happened to him, and to be in high position, what happened to him had to happen so that he could experience the power of the queen. Right? So he was, he was you know, unbalanced here. He wanted to fit in, but he couldn't. He wanted to be a part of the Jewish community, but he couldn't. Because in Deuteronomy uh, 23, verse 1, says that a unit cannot enter the congregation of God, cannot be Jewish. And so here he is. He's trying to be a part of this community, but it's closed, right? And so I want to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about bounded set and centered set. And we're going to throw it up on the screen. Uh, here is... The bounded set is is kind of like what I experienced in church, right? To be in, you have to go through different things, right? And you're in the church, right? You're in the building. But those outside, what are they? Outsiders. They're not in, right? So there's this division. There's this where you can't be a part. Oh, them. Oh, the lost, right? And so it's really hard for someone to enter into the community, just like here it is, the unit trying to enter into the community. It's bound, right? Can't do that. And so here it is, the centered set is very different, right? Here's the center here. Okay? And there's some that is pointing towards the center, and there's some that's going away from the center, right? But they're all on a journey. And here's the illustration of centered set. Think about cattle. You know, in Australia especially, there's a bunch of farmland. Okay, Where I grew up, there's a bunch of farmland, but not to the extreme of, of those places. Maybe we'll go to Texas. Texas has a lot of farmland. In those places, you won't see a fence, right? I mean, there's some places you will, but when you're experiencing a huge amount of farmland, you won't see a fence. But what draws them? What draws the cattle? What keeps them contained from not going outside their property? The water. The well. They're going to stay near the well. They're going to stay near the water. See, Jesus is like that. Go to the next slide, Tim. The, Jesus is like that. He is our center. He is our well, right? And so we are all on a journey together. This is center set. And we are in this journey. Wherever we may be, you may be far out here and you're just now starting to you know, ask questions about this Jesus, who he is, you might be right here with him, right? Strong connection, but you're journeying towards Jesus. And so the goal of, of believers in outreach and witness is for this to turn inward, right? Not to create some walls and boundaries to keep people out, of our fellowship, but to 
you know, love Jesus and follow Him and do live the life that He was all about so that it draws people to Him. They will know we are Christians by our, our love, our fruit, the fruit of love. Yeah. So that is what it should be. And that's what the eunuch experienced when he encountered Philip. He encountered this. He didn't encounter the, the bondage. He didn't encounter the, the church walls and structures. He encountered this and it set him free. And so we're going to be experiencing baptism today. But see, why, why would he want to be baptized? See, in the Jewish faith, uh, the, the sign, the induct, induction sign to join the community was circumcision. That wasn't possible for him. Right? Women. That wasn't possible. Baptism was. So women started to be baptized. Men started to be baptized. And why baptism? In the Jewish way of life, they called it mikvah, which was a ritual bath. Right? So this baptism was something that was common to them. It wasn't something they invented. They're like, oh, we're going to start baptizing people. It's like, no, they already do that. They already were doing that. To enter the temple, in certain parts of the temple, you would have to cleanse yourself. Mikvah would have to happen. You would have to be baptized to enter into those parts. And so that, that started to become a sign among the Jews. And actually the Ethiopians started to do it as well. But then it became something that was more common among Jews. And it became a sign that set the Jews apart. So enters Jesus, and he starts baptism. The early church started baptism. We evolved to now modern Christians were about baptism, right? They're baptizing them as a sign of uh, inward grace, right? And showing it outward to others. But here's the thing. We kind of went away from it, Right? We're from a tradition that comes from the camp meeting movements. Um, but out of those movements came the altar call. The altar call is not bad in itself, but what happened was is the altar call started to slowly replace baptism. Right? The altar call of coming forward, confessing your sins, pray the prayer, stand before, share a testimony, right? that started to replace the sign of baptism and the experience of baptism, right? And I'm not saying ditch altar call. I'm just saying don't replace it with, don't replace baptism with just the altar call. Because what I found is it's pretty easy to come forward and pray a prayer, get your ticket punched, right? You're good to go, right? But let's, you know, baptism, it's, it's different. And Anthony's going to unpack that for us. So the eunuch was, ex, you know, he was used to what baptism was. And so he was riding along the water and he saw the water and he was like, why can't I be baptized? You just started sharing this gospel with me about Jesus and what he did with his life. 
Why can't I be baptized? So here we are. He encounters Jesus. He encountered the gospel. And it was radically changed forever. Amen. Thank you, Dustin. So Philip engages the eunuch, and uh, he, when he finds the eunuch, uh, the eunuch is reading a particular passage that I want to go back and just read that, if we could. Starting with verse 30, when Philip ran up to the chariot, he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And our love Philip the Evangelist, he says, do you even understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. And one of the things that I always tell Christians when they're reading the Bible, really anybody who's reading the Bible, whenever you see an Old Testament reference in the New Testament, you want to dig into that. You want to find out what's going on with that passage. And so he reads from the book of Isaiah, and this is actually Isaiah chapter 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. Hmm. The eunuch understood that. Because the eunuch was a person that oftentimes was made a eunuch and raise your hand here if you know what I mean by this, right? What I mean by eunuch, right? What has to happen to them to become a eunuch, right? I want to make sure we on the same page. This was not really fun. Y'all hear me? Okay, good. Because I'm, you know, we got kids in the audience, so. Uh, so he understands what it's like to be a sheep led to the slaughter, Oftentimes, when one became a eunuch, it was involuntary. Wasn't chosen. And then he keeps reading it as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. And in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Because he probably saw some of himself in this passage. So. So he probably saw some of himself in this passage. And so he says, who is the prophet talking about? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. And be, he says he began with that particular passage of scripture and told him about the good news about Jesus. And so it was a response to this good news that as they're driving, riding along in the chariot, the, the eunuch says, man, there's some water down there. Can I go jump in? Can we go do this? Can you baptize me? And Philip, being a good evangelist that he is, a good disciple of Jesus, he says, why not? 
Let's go ahead and do that. There's no new members orientation. There's no several years of learning Hebrew. There's none of this. Right there on the spot, he's dunked in the water. But the thing I want to share with you briefly is what he was reading that led to Philip to point to Jesus in the text. He's talking about Jesus. So in Isaiah 53, it's going to read this briefly. The rest of that passage, you know, whenever the Old Testament reference is mentioned, don't just read the, the section that's given. Read what comes before and read what comes afterwards. And he says this. And you can imagine the Ethiopian eunuch having read this passage and he's trying to reflect. He's trying to understand because, you know, let's try to understand his situation. One, he's a eunuch. He'll never have children. He'll never have family. And that's in the place that he has to go back to. Because if you notice in the passage in Acts 8 here, he's leaving Jerusalem and heading back to Ethiopia. And as a side note, when Ethiopian, uh, we're talking African. Nubian. Ethiopian, Ethiopas, burnt-faced people. People kissed by the sun in their face. Africa. And according to tradition, uh, uh, this particular unit goes back to Africa, to Ethiopia, and starts a revival, starts a movement of the kingdom of God, of the Christian faith in Africa. To this day, um, one of the oldest churches in the world are in Africa and Egypt. It's called the Coptic Church. And you tie this all the way back to probably this conversion experience of this particular unit. So he has to go back to the place that he was unicized. I don't even know if that's even a word. But he was unicized there. He enjoyed great political power, I'm sure. But I'm sure it was also a place that reminded him of his woundedness. But he's also leaving a place as well. He's leaving Jerusalem. He's leaving a place where, man, I love the God of Israel. There's something about God, the God of the scriptures, that just draws me, that just I feel, I feel resonance with. I, it has captured my heart, this God of Israel. But they won't let me in. So he's like twitched in between. Where do I fit in? And so he's reading this passage in Isaiah. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and he was not esteemed. Surely he took upon our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity 
of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a, like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her, shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? So this is what the eunuch is reading here. And so he's trying to understand, like, I, I, I kind of identify with this guy. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to suffer an injustice. I know what it feels like to people to take you involuntarily against your own will and do violence against you. And so he's like, Philip, you Jewish, you, you, you're a Hebrew, you understand the scriptures. I'm trying to understand. I, 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 I'm really captured by this notion that whoever this is loves God, is, 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 is in the community of God, that worships the God of Israel. Somehow, some way, he has suffered an injustice. And he probably kept on reading on over to Isaiah 51 and 55 when he says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And on down in verse uh, Isaiah 56, he says, For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who chose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant to them, I will give within my temple, I will give within my temple and his wall. So he's reading in Isaiah, he's reading about this person, whoever this is, and he's reading along in Isaiah, and Isaiah's given this vision of this person who is suffering injustice. And then he begins to see later on himself again in the text saying, you can become a part of this. And so I can imagine Philip saying, yes, that's Jesus. Now there's some debate about who that is. And in the first hearing, when Isaiah said it, Isaiah was referring to the nation of Israel. And you got to understand Israel. Israel was kicked around a lot. They were oppressed. They were uh, suppressed. They were trampled upon. They were enslaved. They were exiled by the oppressor. And so God says through uh, the prophet Isaiah, this Israel, this servant, although they had received the oppression and the sin of others, they were to keep their mouth shut and to bear it for the sake of the world. And so later on, you know, uh, this eunuch is reading this passage and then he encounters Philip and Philip says, man, this is Jesus. The one who suffered. You understand, right? You know what it's like to suffer injustice. But he suffered injustice and sin and death for others. And see, this is a part of what this man was responding to. He was responding to this good news that 
that there is injustice in the world, that there is oppression in the world, that there is sin in the world. And by sin, I mean to miss the mark, to fall off the track, to to do go against the will of God, to not be the image of God. As one theologian said it, and I love this, he says, to sin is to refuse to be a human being. Because human beings are made in the image of God. So what's happening here? This this Jesus, he's telling the good news about this Jesus who took upon the sins of humanity. He suffered and he did not open his mouth. He received the oppression. He received the violence of the Roman cross. We all know that Jesus was crucified on Calvary's cross. And so he was crucified not just because He was just simply born to die, as the gospel song says. But Jesus literally was killed and crucified or uh, state execution by the Romans because of what he preached, how he lived, how he loved. Love got Jesus killed. Love of neighbors, love of enemies, love of those who are, the society would say are unlovable. He was killed and executed, crucified because of the love of God that he embodied, that he lived out fully. He was killed. So sin and death through expressed through the oppression of the Roman cross, the death, the violence of the Roman cross, Jesus took that upon himself. And it says he did not open his mouth. I don't know about you, but If somebody came up to me and hit me in the mouth, what would you do? Now, some of y'all probably got a little bit more Jesus in you than I do. I'd probably be be tempted, would be tempted to hit him back. Right? I I don't know. Hopefully, by the grace of God, I'd be like, eh, I don't know. Jesus did say, turn the other cheek. But Jesus receives this injustice. Jesus receives this violence, this sin that's been done against him. Now, here's the thing about the scene that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading. This is not a happy scene. The sheep being led to the slaughter. Anybody seen sheep get slaughtered before? It is not a happy scene. And so this is a tragic moment here. This, This innocent individual is being dragged off to receive violence and ultimately death against themselves. So it's a tragic scene here. And the eunuch's like, I understand tragedy. But it says that Jesus did not open his mouth, did not retaliate, did not return in kind, did not, what's the word, give retribution for what was done to him. Because see, here's the thing. See, when you're dealing with Jesus... Sin and death stop at Jesus. Mm. When the world and its system try to take him out with sin and oppression and death, when the world tried to take him out, it stopped with him. All the sin that we do, all the things that we do to hurt other people and all the hurt that we give to other people and to ourselves 
It's the same hurt and sin that was done to him on the cross. Jesus did not respond in kind. So whatever the world does, sin and death is stopped with him. Does that make sense? Does does that sound okay? Because sometimes this thing is hard to describe. It's like if you can imagine the way the world is that is captured and enslaved to sin and death and the way that we treat each other, the way we oppress each other, the way we dehumanize each other, the way that we belittle each other and devalue each other, it stopped with Jesus. Because he decided to not do it like the world. So that's why Paul says in Colossians that Jesus exposes the world for what it is. Jesus starts something new. Love. Justice. Mercy. But in a perfect way. And so sin and death stop with him. So you can understand that here we are in Acts chapter 8. The move of God has been going forth. Jesus has ascended. The resurrection has gone down. And he's given the Holy Spirit to the disciples to send them out into different parts of the world. And so the kingdom of God is going forth. Eyes are being opened. People being healed. People coming to relationship with God. And so here we are this moment where he meets this man who is outside really of Israel. For the first time. And he's wondering about. This passage. So you can imagine. Philip catching the man at. Jesus bearing the sins that we've done. Jesus bearing the transgressions that we've done. And he's kind of stopping there. He's like man does. Is this where the story ends? Is this what it's all about? And who is he talking about? So for Jesus, it does not uh, end there, right? Because he bears the sin of humanity upon himself on the cross. He, he, He takes in death. They kill him and they put him in the grave. But something happens after that. What happens? Three days later, he rolls from the grave. So sin and death stop at Jesus when he's died he's taken that in but when he raises from the dead when he is resurrected to life he begins a new reality and this is when baptism comes in because when you get baptized you're saying that you are dying with Jesus matter of fact you're saying this when you get baptized you're saying that I am beginning the journey of dying to sin and death. I'm learning how to die to death. I'm learning how to die to sin. Because in baptism, I am dying with Jesus. Because remember, when Jesus died on the cross, sin, the power of sin and death ended with him. So when you connect with Jesus... You connect with someone who's provided a new and living way. So to be with Christ is to die with Christ. It is also to rise with Christ. So when you go down to baptismal waters this this, uh, morning, 
You're saying to the world, to the saints, to the world, to the systems, to the devil himself saying, I am going to die today. But I'm also going to live life. I'm going to let the world know what has happened in me. Jesus has come to me through the Holy Spirit. And I'm joined with Christ. Christ has embraced me. And a part of my embracing of Jesus, I have died with Jesus to the power of sin and death. But I'm also raised with Jesus. And Paul would say, seated at the right hand of God. So as you get baptized today, this gospel, this good news, that Jesus died because of our sin, all the wrong that we've done, and even still do, understand that it wasn't just the Romans that killed Jesus, but that every time that we sin and that we engage in unholy, ungodly activity, we're like those that killed Jesus. The sin that killed Jesus. So when you join with him, when you open up your heart and you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this just isn't a really cool church activity. <clears throat> this isn't just some kind of religious commitment to teach you how to be a moral person. What this is, is you're saying that I have died. <laughs> I have died. And I'm becoming somebody living out a new kind of existence. A life that looks like Jesus. So in baptism today, what you're saying to have baptismal candidates, what you're saying is that I've died with Jesus. Now I'm becoming like Jesus. I'm beginning that journey. Amen. Amen.